Section 9 of Seven Roman Statesmen of the Later Republic by Charles Oman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Sulla, Part 1. Lucius Cornelius Sulla, the man whom Sulpicius and Marius had so recklessly challenged to mortal combat, is one of the most striking figures in Roman history for mere psychological interest there is no one who can be compared with him save caesar alone he combined in the most extraordinary degree the old roman political virtues with the personal vices that the new rome had borrowed from the hellenized east to his credit it must be granted that throughout his career he displayed the main qualities which had distinguished those generations of men who had built up the roman domination in italy during the fourth and third centuries before christ he had an enormous sense of the dignity and importance of the roman name the welfare of the state as he conceived it stood before any private or party interest he was entirely lacking in personal as opposed to national ambition the crown and the purple robe had no attraction for him in this respect he must be reckoned superior even to caesar who was not insensible to such things nor was he affected by the more insidious craving for power he was one of those rare spirits who after they have achieved the highest things and risen to practical sovereignty in the state are content to step down from the throne and to retire into private life moreover he had the solid military ability the steadfast level-headed perseverance the freedom from vain theory which had distinguished the best men of the elder days of the republic mixed with these old roman characteristics were all the vices of the decadent half-hellenized generation into which he had been born sulla had learnt to be regardless of human life not merely of the lives of aliens or barbarians most romans were that but of the lives of citizens also if a man great or small stood in way of his schemes or his reforms he doomed that man to perish with entire nonchalance he had the most profound belief in the all-importance of the roman state but the sacrosanctity of the individual citizen seemed to him a farce the old shibboleth kiwis romanus sum had no protective power against his ruthless hand another modern trait of his character which could only have come from the habitual study of destructive and doubting greek philosophy was a frank disregard for the law of the constitution a thing for which the old roman had as slavish a reverence as had his contemporary the pharisee for the letter of the law of moses while other men still wrangled over forms and ceremonies vetoes and auspices sulla quietly marched an army against rome and showed that neither religious sanctions nor tribunitial mandates had any power to stop a commander with loyal troops at his back sulla had a supreme contempt for forms that had grown meaningless though the majority of the men of his generation were still in bondage to them very unroman again was another of sulla's characteristics a smooth plausible utterly hollow urbanity the deceptive courtesy of the diplomat the roman of the elder republic had been brutally straightforward his notion of diplomacy was summed up in the two handfuls of peace and war which fabius offered to the carthaginian senate 
or in the line which popilius linus drew around the astonished antiochus epiphanes sulla on the other hand took an artistic pleasure in circumventing and cajoling those with whom he had to deal to outmanoeuvre jugurtha at bocchus's court to talk round the parthian ambassador whom his master afterwards executed for being so outwitted were great delights to him to outdo the wily barbarian in his own field of lies had an intrinsic pleasure in the execution another and most unamiable side of sulla's disposition may be summed up in saying that he was an epicurean both in the best and the worst sense of the word he had a keen enjoyment of artistic and intellectual pleasures he loved beautiful things for their own sake was an enlightened student of literature and appreciated and collected hellenic works of art he liked to converse with philosophers and authors with actors and artists and willingly sharpened his brains and increased his knowledge of every side of life by mixing with all sorts and conditions of men but at the same time he had the bad side of the artistic temperament he was frankly vicious in his private life as evil a liver as any greek tyrant of old he was perfectly destitute of any sense of chastity or shame and moreover habitually indulged to excess in the banquet and the wine-cup this it was that ruined his splendid constitution and turned his handsome face into the mulberry spotted with meal to which it was compared in his middle age to complete this strange and repulsive character we must add a curious strain of wild superstition of the simple and stolid religiosity of the old roman there was no trace in him but like napoleon he believed in his star though as far as deeds went he was a scoffer yet he professed a belief that he was the chosen tool of the gods venus he said was his special patroness and gave him good fortune he sometimes called himself in gratitude epaphroditus he claimed to have dreams omens and premonitions he took his surnames the adjectives felix and faustus the lucky his most hazardous steps were made as he said under direct inspiration from above he wrote in his autobiography that his resolutions taken on the spur of the moment and his enterprises begun without any proper preparation always succeeded far better than those on which he had bestowed the most time and forethought we might perhaps have imagined that he assumed this role of the favourite of fortune merely to encourage his followers had it not been that he carried it into private life when no end was to be gained by proceeding with the farce there seems to have been a genuine fantastic vein of superstition in this otherwise practical and cynical mind we know for example that on battle days he wore under his corslet a small golden image of apollo which he had got at delphi but the strangest development of his beliefs was yet to be told on his deathbed when one would have expected that his mind should have been filled with the memory of all the horrors that he had committed he was visited with comforting visions he told his friends that he faced the other world with equanimity for his dead wife and son had appeared to him and had bidden him hasten to join them in a life of perfect rest and happiness beyond the grave truly this was a strange ending for the blood-stained author of the proscriptions of b c eighty one sulla had spent his youth in dire poverty his family was ancient but impoverished 
no man of this branch of the cornelii had held curule office for six generations he had not even a paternal mansion or a hearth of his own but lived as we learn from plutarch in a set of lodgings one story removed from the garret and hired at the meagre rent of three thousand sesterces about twenty-six pounds per annum he was a man who yearned after all the comforts and elegacies of life who loved good dinners good wine and other less reputable luxuries and who in his youth could not get them it is this poverty of his early years that accounts for his insatiable addiction to pleasure in middle age when most men have lost their taste for frivolity he was making up for the enjoyments of which he had been defrauded in his young days men of the type of sulla able impecunious and destitute of any family influence were generally the stuff from which demagogues were made there are a dozen instances in roman history of young and penniless aristocrats who started on the career of mob leader and champion of the rabble it was the easiest trade on which to embark if one loved notoriety had no scruples and lacked wealthy relatives to push one forward but sulla was above all things an aristocrat he loathed the urban multitude and all its works and when he put himself forward as a candidate for the quaestorship in b c one o seven it was as a strict optimate how such a poor and unknown young man ever succeeded in obtaining a magistracy we do not know that he was able and eloquent is clear enough but a full purse or a programme of confiscation and corn doles was a much better commendation to the electors than mere ability how one who was an optimate and yet had not the money to buy his way to power got his foot on the first rung of the ladder that led to the consulship it is hard to conceive but the feat was accomplished sulla became quaestor and served under marius in numidia during the last year of the jugurthine war one o six to one o five it was here that he won his first distinction and earned the undying enmity of his superior in command while the struggle with the evasive numidian seemed likely to drag on forever sulla suddenly brought it to an end by his clever and unscrupulous diplomacy by a combination of bribes and cajolery he induced bacchus the moor jugurtha's chief ally to kidnap his guest and relative and to hand him over in chains to the romans the war came to an end and marius took the credit to himself but he was well aware that sulla had really brought it to a finish the quaestor made no attempt to disguise the fact he took as the device of his signet ring a picture of jugurtha surrendered by bacchus himself and he persuaded the moor to dedicate on the roman capital a group of statues reproducing the same composition marius was bitterly vexed it was probably for this reason that sulla took a particular pride in the statues they were placed long after as the device on cornelian coins we may still see sulla in his chair the captive numidian king in chains before him and the moor in front waving the olive branch with which he sued for peace with rome once launched on an official career sulla came steadily to the front his only drawback was his want of funds the first time that he stood for the praetorship he was rejected because the people had expected from him and had not received a great show of african wild beasts but finding money necessary he finally succeeded in scraping it together partly as spoils of war partly in less obvious and reputable ways 
his public services however were distinguished in the highest degree nothing that he took in hand failed to come to a good end already the luck on which he was so fond of insisting made itself felt he won golden opinions in the Kimbrick war while serving under the consul catullus in b c ninety three he at last obtained the praetorship and in the following year held as propraetor the turbulent and newly formed province of cilicia he had been sent there without an army or a proper supply of money yet he made his name feared all around he frightened away mithridates who was trying to annex cappadocia he restored the rightful king of that country and protected him against an armenian invasion first of all romans he came in touch with the formidable parthian power which was just advancing to the line of the upper euphrates he met the ambassador of king arsaces the ninth and not only conjoled him into a friendly agreement but induced him to allow the roman to have the place of honour over the parthian name in their negotiations the great king executed his envoy when he returned for permitting this humiliation of his majesty but the peace between the two powers stood firm in short sulla had pacified south-eastern asia minor and strengthened the boundaries of his province with no other resources than his ready wit his capacity for bluffing orientals and a handful of untrustworthy native auxiliaries his self-confidence never weak is said to have been confirmed by the prophecies of eastern wizards the chief soothsayer of the parthian ambassador was struck by his invariable good fortune cast his horoscope and told him that he was destined to be the greatest of men and that it was strange that he could endure to be anything less at the present moment when sulla returned to rome it was natural that he should take a high place among the optimate party he was the only man among them who had built up a reputation for unvarying success hence he was naturally entrusted with high command in the italian war he fully justified his promotion won battles over the samnites and the lucanians which far surpassed the successes of any other roman general in these campaigns marius not excepted and gained such a reputation that he was elected as consul for b c eighty eight it was natural that when the italian war died down he should be chosen to march against mithridates for he was the only living general who knew the east and had already made a name in that quarter of the world sulla was quite satisfied with the commission he believed that he was competent to save asia and he had been deeply grieved by the humiliations which the roman arms had been suffering in the mithridatic war hence it was that he was moved to ungovernable wrath when he was informed that sulpicius had passed a law to remove him from command and to make over his army to marius he had already been in violent collision with the demagogue who as it is said had tried to get him assassinated in broad daylight during the meeting of the comitia but there is no reason to suppose that he would have interfered with the sword in domestic politics if he had not been deprived of his eastern commission he believed that the turning back of mithridates was a far more important duty than the quelling of demagogues sulpicius had had many predecessors who had all come to a bad end if sufficient rope was given to a turbulent tribune he was certain to end by hanging himself but it was a different matter when he intervened between sulla and his cherished project of reconquering asia and greece from the pontic king when the news reached the consul he behaved in the most unexpected fashion 
he began by drawing off the greater part of the army from the siege of nola and bringing it up to capua there he harangued the soldiers told them that he was the victim of the intrigues of bad citizens and asked them whether they were prepared to follow him the men were devoted to the general who had led them so well during the italian war they cared little for the difference between optimate and democrat but they remembered that sulla had always been the most indulgent and good-humoured of chiefs that he had kept their stomachs full and their pockets well lined they believed like himself in his luck and they had been looking forward to easy victory and endless plunder in asia the legions shouted that they would follow him anywhere even if he marched against rome itself which was precisely what he was intending to do when the praetors brutus and servilius met him forbidding him to advance further the soldiers fell upon them tore their robes broke their fasces and stoned them out of the camp glad to escape with their lives this violence frightened many of sulla's chief officers who slunk away from him lest they should find themselves involved in high treason but the rank and file stuck firmly to him and with thirty thousand men at his back he began a rapid march on rome to those who were appalled at his project he merely said that all the omens were favourable the asiatic moon goddess who had been so friendly to him in cappadocia had appeared to him in a dream and had promised him victory placing a thunderbolt in his hand and bade him use it to annihilate his enemies when this wholly unexpected news reached rome marius and sulpicius sent out several embassies one after another to endeavour to stop sulla but he deceived them by fair words inviting them to induce the senate and the democratic leaders to meet him in a conference while he continued to advance at full speed toward the city as he was approaching it he was joined by his colleague pompeius rufus a very determined optimate whose presence was invaluable to him for when the two consuls acted together it gave a false air of legality to their proceedings marius and sulpicius had barely time to barricade the streets and to arm their followers from the state arsenal when the arrival of the sullen army in the suburbs was reported without the least hesitation the legions crossed the sacred pomerium and pushed into the city the democrats surprised as they were made a desperate resistance but though swords and pikes had been served out to them they were but untrained rioters contending with disciplined soldiery there was fierce fighting around the esquiline market and the temple of tellus but it did not last for long when sulla brought forth torches and told his men to burn out the enemy if they could not expel them in any other fashion the democrats gave way and fled the victors bivouacked that night in the squares and along the streets ready to fight again next morning if necessary but they soon discovered that the leaders of the enemy had left the city and that the mob had dispersed sulla had broken up the dearest traditions of ancient rome he had brought armed legions into the forum to lovers of the constitution whether optimates or democrats it seemed that the abomination of desolation was in the holy place but no thunderbolt descended from heaven to annihilate the impious consul his luck was still with him and he faced the situation which would have appalled any one less cheerful and unscrupulous than himself with perfect equanimity the senate was assembled by the consuls and informed that the tyrants had been expelled from the city it voted that the sulpician laws had been passed without the proper formalities and were null and void 
it also passed a decree of outlawry by which sulpicius marius and his son and ten other persons were declared public enemies and a price was set on their heads the tribune was caught lurking in a villa at laurentum he was beheaded and his head was set upon the rostra from which he had so often declaimed a ghastly innovation in the etiquette of massacre which was to be regularly followed hereafter but most of the other democratic leaders escaped from italy marius after a long series of adventures culminating in his celebrated mud-bath in the marshes of minternai made his way to africa where he was ultimately joined by his son and several others of the outlaws it would now have been in sulla's power to assume the permanent control of the state he might have proclaimed himself dictator or have renewed his consular authority and have settled down to rule as an autocrat with the swords of his legions propping up his throne but he had no personal ambition he was a roman and an optimate who desired the triumph of his country and his party and was determined to do his best for both but there was nothing of the tyrant in him his present duty as he supposed was to restore his party to power at rome and then to sally forth to save the eastern provinces from mithridates these two ends he proceeded to carry out with no concern for his own private profit the executions as he supposed had crushed the democrats marius he despised and considered a negligible quantity there was no other surviving chief of any note to resuscitate the vanquished faction and the senate ought to be able to take care of itself for the present accordingly he contented himself with making some comparatively unobtrusive changes in the constitution before his departure the chief of these was a law providing that the approval of the senate senatus auctoritas had for the future to be granted to any bill brought forward by tribunes or other magistrates before it could be laid before the assembly another law restored the old order of things in the comitia centuriata where the wealthier classes were replaced in the preponderant position which they had enjoyed under the early republic but it was not really by these slight alterations of existing custom that he imagined that the senate could defend itself he left behind for their protection two armies under optimates of assured fidelity and ability his late colleague in the consulship pompeius rufus and quintus metullus pius the son of the conqueror of numidia for the mithridatic war he withdrew from italy only five of his own veteran legions which had served with him throughout the campaigns of b c ninety to eighty eight and had won so many successes over the samnites with this force he thought that he could master all the asiatic hordes of mithridates nor as the event showed was he wrong the moment however that he set out for the east all went wrong in italy he had as it seemed taken his good fortune away with him the senate proved far too weak to maintain the position to which he had restored it and the democratic faction found a new leader in the consul for b c eighty seven lucius cornelius cinna a vain heady man who seems to have been carried away by a sudden lust for establishing a personal domination in the style of gaius gracchus rather than by any true zeal for the popular cause as an optimate no statesman could hope to be more than a member of the governing ring as a democrat it was possible to exercise a quasi-monarchical power hence came the temptation to men of vulgar and unscrupulous ambition to enlist on the democratic side 
even before sulla left italy his colleague pompeius rufus on whose ability to keep order he most relied had been murdered in a military riot in picanum gnaeus octavius who was consul for b c eighty seven along with cinna proved too weak for the task of controlling his exuberant partner when the latter openly took arms on behalf of the democrats a sporadic civil war began to spread all over italy which became really formidable when cinna made an alliance with the samnites and called back marius and the rest of the exiles the optimates lost ground at last octavius and his army were actually besieged in rome and weakened by desertion and famine the senate capitulated cinna and marius entered rome in triumph and celebrated their victory by a wholesale massacre not a mere attack on a dozen leaders such as sulla had carried out in b c eighty eight marius went about at the head of a band of slaves slaying every man with whom he had ever had a personal quarrel whether he was a prominent politician or not indeed the old general acted more like a lunatic afflicted with homicidal mania than a responsible party leader every prominent man in rome who had not taken sides with the exiles was doomed to death not only was octavius put to death but a number of respectable ex-consuls were murdered among them lucius caesar who had enfranchised the italians in b c ninety catullus the colleague of marius in his cimbrian victory antonius the orator and publius crassus the father of the triumvir the optimate wing of the senate was almost exterminated none escaped save a handful of fugitives and the officers whom sulla had taken with him to the east marius caused the head of every senator who had been slain to be hung up in the forum so that for many weeks it resembled the precinct of the king of daomi after the great customs rather than the meeting-place of a civilized people the atrocities only ceased when marius died on january thirteenth b c eighty six just after he had caused himself to be elected consul for the seventh time cinna glutted with blood now turned from the work of massacre to the more practical task of taking measures for the suppression of sulla who had sailed for the east in the previous year to take up the war against mithridates End of section nine